Pushkin. Small business owners, this one's for you. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A., member FDIC. Copyright 2024, J.P. Morgan Chase & Company. Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable. Now is the time to embrace a new wave of workers. Every day, your team grows younger, more digital, and more drawn to entirely new ways of working, which means you need flexible solutions to connect them where business gets done. T-Mobile for Business was born digital. With America's largest 5G network, we can make it easier to work together from virtually anywhere. Your team may be changing, but with the right tech, it can be more productive than ever before. Get started at T-Mobile.com slash now. A week after his arrest, in early April 1981, Fred took a polygraph exam. Surprisingly, it wasn't ordered by law enforcement. It was ordered by Fred's defense team. Polygraph tests are notoriously unreliable, but Fred's lawyers were hoping that a successful polygraph would help prove his innocence. There was a lot to go over. Fred had entered a plea of not guilty, but the second autopsy showed trauma to Verna and Doug bruises and marks that seemed to bolster the cops' working theory that Fred had killed them violently. The polygraph was meant to bring clarity. It was a pass-fail test. Fred was either a liar or he wasn't. If you didn't have any connection with their death other than accidental, then believe me, you'll pass a polygraph. This is the polygraph examiner explaining the process to Fred. I have no idea if you're going to be lying to me or telling me the truth. But after we get into this for a couple of hours, you're going to find out I can tell when you lie. If you're responsible for doing that, or you tell them underneath water or anything like that, then of course, and if you're involved that way, then you will fail the polygraph. After the examiner had established Fred's baseline, how he reacted to questions of various kinds, he started asking him about Verna, Doug, and what happened on January 2nd, 1981, the day they drowned. Did Verna have a white jacket? Did you have on one? No. Because I understand she's a pretty good swimmer, huh? No, that's a bunch of bullshit. That's a bunch of bullshit? How about Doug? Was he a good swimmer? The only time that Verna's been swimming since we bought the boat and bought our house in Malibu. I think when we went to my parents' house, she went in the pool. But she was really not a good swimmer. How'd you get along with her? Was everything okay in the bedroom? Was everything actually, okay socially? Actually, everything was terrific in the bedroom. Yeah. 
Uh, how about between uh, the three of you, Doug, yourself, and Verna? How was what was your relationship then? Good, bad, or, or indifferent? Yeah. Um, I would say it would be good with a qualification. The qualification was that they disagreed about how to handle Doug. If there were going to be points of concern between Verna and I about the children, that's where it normally came. The examiner flipped the tape over to the other side, then continued asking Fred about the day of the drownings. Well, then you were tired as hell, weren't you? So another 45 minutes with two bodies on you, weren't you? Did you almost die? But keep you going, Fred. That's okay, just sit there and relax. Were you afraid of dying? You just couldn't stop, could you? Fred had started getting emotional. Did you think you stopped, you would have died? I just knew that I was wearing down. Uh, I didn't dive for a long time. I know when I'm tired underwater. I know when my breathing is screwed up and I can't get my breath. And all those things were going on. I was taken on water. It just was all turned to shit. The exam lasted over an hour. Near the end, Fred told the examiner he wasn't feeling so good. We'll see how you do first. Okay? I'm pretty gooey. Yeah, you are sweaty, aren't you? Mm-hmm. Is this uh, normal or is this well, abnormal? It's been going on for a number of days. I don't know. How do you feel? Awful, Fred said. A few minutes later, the tape ends. When I asked Fred the result of the polygraph, he told me it was inconclusive. He didn't pass or fail, he said, and the polygraph was never a factor in the trial. But there was one question the examiner asked that seemed to come almost out of the blue. It was abstract and vague, and yet... It drove right to the heart of the investigation, right to the heart of Fred's motivations in life. Which do you love the most, love or money? That one, Fred didn't answer right away. And when he did, his voice had the controlled, deliberate quality of a valedictorian on graduation day. I think love is the most important thing for me. But the question of money and how badly Fred needed it, that was exactly what law enforcement had been trying to figure out. I'm Dana Goodyear, and this is Lost Hills. Episode 7, Love or Money. Fred and Werner were supposed to be a love story. They'd both overcome the tragic, untimely deaths of their first spouses to find love again. But there were some irregularities in the origin story. One, 
it seemed like maybe they'd gotten together before Jean died. When the Santa Barbara detectives asked around about Fred and Verna, they heard one thing loud and clear. Whether you approved or you didn't, it had been a whirlwind romance. In handwritten notes Fred made around the time of his trial, he laid out the way in which his relationship with Verna changed. Babysitter, friend, lover, wife. At the line for lover, he writes, D.A. dates. As if he's trying to get a handle on what law enforcement knew. That's because the detectives had started to suspect that Fred and Verna were having an affair before Jean died. Verna's friend and confidant, Patty Lytell, had told them as much. And when Fred's investigator went to talk to her, she doubled down. Here she is, talking to the investigator. I didn't ask her if she was having an affair with him. I, she told me <coughs> she was. She told? Okay. With Fred? Okay. I have to realize Verna and I were very close and living that close together. That would be a problem were it ever to come out in court. Questioned by the detectives, Fred's sailing buddy, Dick Felthoen, admitted to his affair with Jean. But Fred always denied knowing about it. Even to this day, he denies it. And he denies he and Verna got together before Jean's death. Because if he knew Jean was cheating and he wanted to be with Verna, those affairs would establish a powerful motive, not just for him to kill Jean, but... Who knows? Maybe for him to kill Verna's first husband, too. So they might have been together before they were together. But then there was something else the detectives uncovered, even more shocking to their church friends. When they got married, they weren't really married. Do you recall the uh, marriage ceremony on the beach? Okay. This is a private investigator hired by Fred's defense, talking to Verna's good friend, Michelle Williams, and her husband, Dick. Were you aware when that ceremony was held that uh, they were not legally married? No. Okay. That moving ceremony, Christmas of 1977, when Fred and Verna dressed the kids up in matching outfits and they all exchanged rings, it wasn't actually a wedding. Did that make any difference to you, well, finding out, that out? found out two weeks ago. Hey. What was that? I didn't, <laughs> they were not legally married during that ceremony. That it was a religious ceremony. Where I, I don't really understand the whole thing. I just found that out two weeks ago at a Little League game. So, you know, John Hager, the minister from the Methodist Church, had performed the ceremony. So the guests had assumed it was legit. Well, John Hager it was the guy that was there on the beach yeah. that day, and he's the guy who married him, so I don't know what the difference is. But apparently, uh, some of the people who have, you know, said some bad things about Fred and Verna thought that that was just awful, that they'd been deceived and so on and so forth. So I don't... Well, had they, well, had they not uh, applied for marriage license? I don't know what the circumstances were. I, I'm just asking the questions to try and find out. Hmm. I, I'm not sure exactly what it means either because he's an ordained minister and, you know, I, it could have been financial, that's all I could think of. That was exactly it. Fred later wrote that the reason he and Verna hadn't married then was economic. Because if she remarried, Verna would stop getting pension and social security benefits from her deceased husband, Bill. Fred and Verna kept it quiet 
But in a handwritten will, Verna spelled it all out. While I am not legally married to Frederick George Railer II because of financial and tax purposes, she wrote, we are married in the eyes of God, and that is what really counts. If she died, she continued, she intended for Fred to raise her children, Kim and Doug, and, quote, continue the finances of my estate with no other appointed trustee or executor. The wedding that wasn't raised a red flag for the Santa Barbara detectives. And Verna's will was one of the many items listed on the warrant they got in order to search the house on Sea Level Drive. But in that search, they also found another suspicious document in a desk drawer, a confidential record of another wedding, this one legal. Fred and Verna had been married secretly by the same minister, but it was more than two years after the wedding on the beach. Their actual marriage date was July 12, 1980, just five months before Verna's death. By the time Verna died, the couple's assets had been transferred to a trust they'd set up with help from Fred's old friend and lawyer, Bill Fairfield. The purpose of the Johnson Railer Trust, Fred said, was to prevent any gossip that might arise about financial gain should he or Verna die. The detectives found the flowchart for the trust in the silver case underneath a desk in the living room, along with a guidebook for widows and what appeared to be Fred's diary of the day that Verna and Doug drowned. Your tax refund belongs to you, not an identity thief. Over $6 billion in tax refunds were flagged by the IRS for possible identity theft in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. LifeLock monitors and alerts you to identity threats you may miss on your own, even if you're careful with your personal information. And if you do become the victim of tax-related identity fraud, LifeLock has U.S.-based restoration specialists ready to help solve your identity theft issues. Plus, all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package, meaning LifeLock will reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Let LifeLock help you protect your financial information so all you have to worry about is what to do with your tax refund. Go to LifeLock.com iHeart and save up to 25% your first year. That's 25% off at LifeLock.com iHeart. Identity theft protection starts here. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you, who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Join hosts Ben Walter, CEO of Chase for Business, and Tanya Nebo, a lawyer and business consultant, on these storytelling journeys of trials, tribulations, and triumphs that hinged on a single event, a split-second decision, or even a stroke of luck. Whether the story is about a warehouse going up in flames or a former partner stealing a whole roster of clients, each episode will showcase the grit, determination, and resourcefulness a small business owner needed to turn a pivotal situation into a springboard for success. Listen to The Unshakables now and learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. 
J.P. Morgan Chase and a member FDIC 2024, J.P. Morgan Chase & Co. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City Featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. The Santa Barbara detectives, Fred Ray and Claude Tuller, were talking to everyone in Malibu about every aspect of Fred's life with Verna. Verna's old friend Patty Lytell told them that Back when Fred and Verna first got together, Fred had pressured Verna to get married right away. Patty said Fred was trying to marry Verna just a couple months after Jean died, but Verna seemed to worry what people would think. Patty had advised Verna to take it slow, maybe live with Fred a while before deciding, and she told Verna what she was really worried about. She didn't think Fred loved her. She thought he was after her property on Broad Beach. Even though they hadn't gotten married right away, Fred did figure out a financially beneficial solution. While he and Verna remained officially unmarried, she could continue to collect her first husband's benefits. And then once they did marry officially, their assets, including her house, would go into the trust, of which Fred and Verna were co-trustees, of which Fred became the sole trustee once she died. When the detectives had interviewed Fred back in January, they'd asked a lot of questions about his finances. What would you say uh, before you and Verna got married that your, your individual net worth was? Before we got married? Yeah. Probably in the order of a half a million dollars apiece. How was hers in, uh, in what form was her money? Uh, real estate. Okay. What real estate was it? Uh, she has some houses. There's a house in Broad Beach. Uh, are there any other houses that she owns? Not that she owns. I have two other houses. I have a house in, on Calpine, and then I have one in Oxnard. Calpine is around here somewhere? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's off Pacific Coast Highway. Do you own any other houses? Were you and her buying this one? Yeah, see. Mm -hmm. Fred's relationship with Verna, their merger, he sometimes called it, began at a moment when they had each inherited a modest fortune in real estate, insurance money, and other benefits from their first spouses. 
When Jean died, Fred received about $75,000 in insurance money. That's about $360,000 in today's dollars. Her Social Security benefits threw off the equivalent of another $38,000 in today's money every year. When she was alive and talking about divorce, Jean and Fred owned two properties, a house in Oxnard and the Calpine House in Malibu. But with Jean gone, Fred became the sole owner at a time when Malibu home values were spiking. The Oxnard House was also on the coast in an up-and-coming neighborhood called the Silver Strand. He ended up turning both houses into income properties. The insurance policy on Verna's first husband, Bill Johnson, paid Verna a substantial sum, about $250,000 in today's money. She also got his generous pension and Social Security benefits. And she became the sole owner of the property on Broad Beach Road, a duplex with a garage apartment right on the beach, in a neighborhood Ally McGraw would soon be priced out of. Outside of the rental properties, the family's income was a hodgepodge. Fred only earned about $30,000 a year from his job as an underwater engineer at Point Magoo. That's just over $100,000 in today's money. And according to his colleague, Dennis O'Gorman, Fred's ambition had been in freefall ever since Gene died. Here's O'Gorman talking to an investigator. He very, seemed very despondent about things. Uh, I was philosophizing, for instance. Uh, uh, he started talking about how, uh, really, you know, it should be a socialistic society. Uh, anybody, everybody ought to be allowed to do whatever it is that they want to do. So if you decide you want to be a beach bum, you get the same number of bucks as some guy who wants to sit in an office and do calculations all day, okay? No matter what you want to do, you ought to be able to do it. I mean, it's your life, and it's so short. Why not enjoy it to the utmost? Yeah. You know, the perfect world, if you have it on Earth. And that's Fred, basically, stopped working. And it seemed like the more he got away with, the more he wanted to get away with. And uh, every job that Fred had was given to somebody else, which really ticked us off. I mean, we liked the work, but now we're carrying a hell of a workload Okay, more than our share, and here's one man who's making more money than any one of us because he's been there longer and he's mm-hmm. higher up on the scale, and he's not doing anything. And not only is he not doing anything, but he's tying up the phones on personal calls. Uh, he's now dating uh, Verna, and uh, he's making personal calls to his girlfriends, to his lawyers for property investments or whatever the mm-hmm. hell it is. You know, anyway, they're, they're personal calls. Uh, and uh, he has a smirk on his face, like he knows that we know what's going on, and there's nothing anybody can do or wants to do about it, and by God, it's just kiss my ass, you know, that kind of attitude. And it's infuriating. Then, from 1978 to 1980, Fred really stopped working. He'd injured his back, or so he said. On the polygraph, he admitted to fudging that a bit. Fred did have a little side business, building redwood hot tubs. Here he is talking to an investigator in 1981. You built hot tubs? Yeah. And you actually whacked them out of wood. Whacked them out of wood. <clears throat> Jim is uh, And install them for, for people? Or? Yeah. I see. Mostly friends. It was not a lucrative situation. There was Verna's pay from her teaching job, which amounted to just a couple grand a year. They had the benefits from their first spouses and the income from their various properties. Their houses might have been worth a lot, but cash flow, how is this all working? In the spring of 1980, about nine months before Verna and Doug drowned, Fred and Verna bought Perseverance, their 50-foot sailboat. The price tag? 
around $150,000, five times Fred's annual salary at Point Magoo, back when he was working. Perseverance was fancy. This is Dempsey Billy, an investigator for the Santa Barbara DA's office. I talked to him recently. He remembered Perseverance very well. The sailboat, it was there in uh, Ventura Harbor, and it was a really nice boat. It had a fireplace in it. Not too many sailboats that I've been around have a fireplace in them. Fred's solvency was of great interest to the detectives. How was this guy who made so little money leveling up in Malibu? By the time they went back and questioned Fred a second time, on January 20th, 1981, they'd learned a lot about his tumultuous relationship with Gene and that he'd improved his financial position and certainly his real estate holdings upon her death. So they had a few more questions for Fred. Did you and Bernie have any marital problems? No. How, how would you describe your relationship, your marriage? Life? I would say we had as good a relationship overall anybody I've known we shared the same aspirations We've gone through really a learning process for deciding what we really wanted to do with the children and, and buying the boat and all those things uh, we've shared interests in the children we shared interests in each other, things that we like to do, friends, we common friends. I don't really know what else. Were you having any financial problems, or are you having any financial problems? Today, Fred says he wasn't underwater. Quite the contrary. When they were saying that, oh, you're, you know, I was broke, I said, well, the thing you didn't search when you tore up my house was you didn't go into the deep freeze. I had a safe in there with 30 grand cash and about 5,000 in travelers checks in it. And they were sort of stunned. And then they asked the detective if he had looked in the, in the deep freeze. And he said, of course, he hadn't. What was that for and where did it come from? Ever since I'd been making payments on different things, and when I no longer made payments on them, I basically put some money aside in a safe, and I put it in our chest deep freeze under a bunch of uh, frozen uh, crates of uh, orange juice, and that's where I kept our passports and you know our papers and everything else in there. It was in the garage, and the uh, the prosecution went nuts when uh, they found out that their their super detectives hadn't found it. Thirty five thousand dollars is a hefty chunk of change. It's equivalent to about one hundred and ten thousand today. Fred basically had a year's salary in his freezer underneath the orange juice. Why would anyone keep that much cash just lying around his house? Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. 
This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you, who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Join hosts Ben Walter, CEO of Chase for Business, and Tanya Nebo, a lawyer and business consultant, on these storytelling journeys of trials, tribulations, and triumphs that hinged on a single event, a split-second decision, or even a stroke of luck. Whether the story is about a warehouse going up in flames or a former partner stealing a whole roster of clients, each episode will showcase the grit, determination, and resourcefulness a small business owner needed to turn a pivotal situation into a springboard for success. Listen to The Unshakables now and learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase and a member FDIC 2024, J.P. Morgan Chase & Co. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City Featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com stereo right now. NetSuite.com stereo. NetSuite.com stereo. To own a sailboat, one as stunning as Perseverance, it was Fred's dream come true. She was brand new and sleek, toothpaste white with teak decks and trim. Everything about her, down to the name, was perfect. Fred and I looked at each other and said, I don't think we could think of anything more apropos than that for us, for all the stuff that we'd gone through, you know. Both of our lives were not uh, not the uh, not smooth. They they had bumps all over them. So um, we both sort of uh, felt that uh, having persevered, uh, we were very fortunate to have uh, found each other and 
you know, be doing well with our family. No longer would Fred be cleaning the bottom of Dick Valthoen's boat. He would take his boat and go anywhere he pleased. In fact, when detectives Ray and Tuller first came to see him, Fred dropped a big piece of news on them. He and Verna and the kids had been about to set sail on a long trip. They'd planned to be gone for months, maybe a year. We were to leave the end of this month. Uh, we had been getting provisions and food and medical things and uh, just literally everything to get ready to go. Where were you going to go on the trip? We were going to go to Mexico. And we were going to do uh, a lot of documentation, and the children each had a logbook writing down all the things that they were feeling and seeing and fun things like that. The kids were going to journal, and Fred would take photos and film. They were thinking about writing a book or making a movie about their adventure. The story of their trip, told through the children's eyes. On your Mexico cruise, were you headed for any particular place? Uh, no, not really. We, we have picked up a bunch of charts and talked to a number of people. And our intentions were basically just hop all along the peninsula and then come back up into the Gulf of California and spend some time up there. I had read Steinbeck's uh, book, Sea of Cortez, mm-hmm. and I gave her a copy of that. Did she have any particular fears or anything about going? Yeah, she really didn't like the shipping lanes and didn't like fog very much. That was her her big thing. Later, Fred made some notes about how the Mexico plan had come to be. Quote, sitting in hot tub, September 1979. Concern about raising the children in Malibu. Dope. Peer groups. Solution? Pack up and go cruising? According to Fred, the trip to Mexico had motivated him and Verna to get organized. In the fall of 1980, right after he and Verna were legally married, they began some vigorous estate planning. They started buying insurance. Detective Ray asked Fred about this when questioning him about Verna and Doug. Were they both insured? Yeah, our whole family was insured. All family. What company are they insured to? Uh, Travelers, I believe. Was that in her name or your name or whose name was it? Well, we had just set up a uh, a trust uh, and gone through uh, a whole estate planning thing. Do you have a the policy around? Um, I think that's probably in the safety deposit box. I'm not sure. Okay. Um, how much was the policies for? I think uh, there's 400000 on myself and Verna, and 60000 on each of the four children. That was almost it. There were also accidental death riders, worth an additional 300,000 for each of the adults and an additional 60,000 for each of the kids. Doug's policy named his surviving siblings, 
Fred was the beneficiary of Verna's policy. That meant the payout from her death was $700,000 in 1981 money, which is about $2.25 million today. The detectives wanted more details because, they said, the insurance company would be calling them in the course of processing the claims. They were pretty patient for a few months, but then they started started getting pressure from you to settle and and then, or your family or whoever, the beneficiary of the trust, I think it would be you and the kids, right? I don't think so. I think somehow the trust is, but I don't... I don't recall the mechanics of that. You think the trust is all I think that the trust is a beneficiary, as opposed to either of us. Oh, in other words, if something happens, everything goes into the trust. Fred said he and the kids weren't the beneficiaries. The Johnson Railer Trust was. That was a little slippery. The funds from the insurance would maybe end up in the trust, like any other family asset. But Fred was named on Verna's policy. The money would be his. Fred also didn't say that he was the trustee. If the insurance money flowed into the trust, he would control it. It was right around then that Fred decided he had said enough. He needed to talk to his friend Bill Fairfield the lawyer who'd advised him and Verna on the trust. I guess I want everything to be as, uh, I guess as settled as, uh, as much information as I can give you. And at the same time, uh, I know he's going to break my arm if I, uh, if I just do everything without talking to him. I have not spoken oh, to him at all. The detectives weren't buying the Mexico trip as a reason for taking out huge insurance policies. It reeked of planning. Like Fred was thinking about the murders and the ways he'd cover them up. And the insurance. Well, that looked like another pattern in his life. Because Fred, the detectives were learning, knew a thing or two about insurance. Lighting his car on fire to get the insurance settlement to act as a down payment on a new car. The parents, but they burned down a farmhouse to collect the insurance, as I understand. Fires, bike accidents, car accidents, tractor accidents, a houseboat on fire, Papap's barn on fire. If it's true, and I say if, it shows early on the ability to conceive of insurance fraud. Just all of the horrible accidents that can happen to one family. The detectives had found a motive to hand to the district attorney. It was the Malibu lifestyle. Fred, they thought, wanted to live a life of leisure, like so many of the ritzy folks buying up all the beach houses in Malibu. To accomplish this, the detectives surmised, Fred would need a big windfall, say $700,000 in insurance money, from an accident with no witnesses. Coming up on the next episode of Lost Hills, what was Verna worth to Fred? She was his life. 
fact, just showed him the way that life could be. I'm saying Verna meant to him something that money couldn't buy. That's next in Episode 8, Three Freds. Lost Tales is written and reported by me, Dana Goodyear. It's created by me and Ben Adair and produced by Western Sound and Pushkin Industries. Subscribe to Pushkin Plus and you can hear the whole season ad-free and get early access to the final two episodes. Find Pushkin Plus on the Lost Hills show page in Apple Podcasts or at pushkin.fm. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. And that makes us FACET for life now, I guess. <laughs> Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable.